Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. Good morning. I haven't stood up here for a long time. Okay, the scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mm. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this is a familiar passage to a lot of us. And I would ask that you enable Joel to make it new to us again and to bring the message that you want us to hear and to take to heart. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Meg. One of the things that I haven't had to adjust to because of the age of our cars are these new electronic uh, key fobs for starting up vehicles, right? Like apparently when you rent cars, they just give you this fob and then you go and you just sit down and then you hit the start button. This is so weird to me. Uh, It's different. I'm used to the kind of locks where you have to put a key in and then you turn the lock, you know, like the standard padlock, the standard deadbolts on doors uh, and car keys. And the way that those locks work are that there are a number of pins that drop down. So that's the first part of a lock that it has a certain number of pins that drop down. 
And uh, the key is shaped in such a way, you know, you're used to seeing all these jagged things that are great for opening Amazon boxes or, uh, you know, as a tool to pry gum off the bottom of your shoe or whatever. Uh, but it has all these jagged edges that's not primarily for opening Amazon boxes. It's really designed uh, to hit the pins in just the right way to move all of the pins up. So that's the first part of a lock, moving the pins and the lock up. The second part of the lock is the actual turning mechanism. So like once the pins are up, then the lock should be able to turn. And so that's why keys are made out of metal as opposed to paper uh, or plastic or something that would easily snap. Uh, so you, you first lift all of the pins up and then second, turn the key and then voila. The, the lock opens and you can get access to your locker uh, or well, uh, if it's a padlock lock in your locker combinations, it's a different thing. Pastor Joel can tell you about that later. Uh, but, you know, in, in, into uh, whatever uh, lock has the can, key uh, that effectively pushes up those pins and turns the lock sideways. And, uh, you know, in the gospel, these stories can often be very familiar to us. We may have heard them. Um, it, it seems just almost like uh, uh, this very familiar story of this guy, Jesus, and, and him doing pretty amazing things. But when Jesus arrives on the scene in the gospel of Mark, he is trying to get our attention because he's saying the lock that keeps us trapped in the reality of sin and death, that lock is real. And it affects us all. So no matter how educated you are, uh, no matter uh, who your parents are, no matter what you have done or hope to do in life, you, if you're human, are confronted with the challenge, the problem, the lock of sin and death. And this has eternal weight involved. And so when we hear these stories of Jesus interacting with people, it's important not to miss that he is arriving saying, I am the key that unlocks the problem of sin and death. I am the way forward to eternal life. And he often is unpacking this like the mechanism of a lock in both word and deed. So when Jesus arrives, he not only declares to people, I'm here to bring about God's sovereign reign and solution to your biggest problem, he unpacks how he's going to do it. Through his words, he presses up the pins of sin and death that weigh in on us. The reality of disease and suffering, the real-to-life struggles with relationships. Jesus, through his words in the gospel, is in effect pushing up those pins to help you understand what God is doing. And then through his actions. Through his miracles, which I, I get sometimes there are questions about, but the miracles aren't there just to amaze you, 
they're definitely not there to just entertain you. The miracles are the reality of the turning of that lock. It's Jesus saying, not only am I the son of God who has arrived to announce God's kingdom, but through my life and through my work, and eventually we will find out his death and resurrection, he is turning the lock to open up the doors of abundant life and freedom for you and for me. So when we come to stories in the gospel, like what we're going to consider this morning, we want to approach it not as just another story, but we want to approach it like life and death is on the line. And Jesus is declaring to people I am the key to life, and I've come because I love and care for you, and here is what I'm doing. So we're going to consider that declaration that Jesus makes in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, verse 15. He announces it this way. Uh, He says, the kingdom, or the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is declaring in the opening of Mark's gospel, I'm the key to life. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. So let's consider this interaction with a man who was suffering and his friends who cared about him and a lot of other people who had gathered together to hear from Jesus. And we'll do that in two points, gathering to hear and good news to believe. So first, in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, people are gathering to hear. Jesus, uh, in his first visit to Capernaum, had done some pretty amazing things. Uh, He had started to initially turn that lock, so to speak, through healing people and through casting out demons. So showing his power over even supernatural forces. And so that drew attention. Word got out. People wanted to come and hear and see for themselves. Wait, this is big. Jesus is declaring that the kingdom of God is here and that he is the key to the kingdom. Wow, let's go hear more from that guy. So when he returns to Capernaum in verse 1, word gets out and it gets a little crowded, like real crowded, like pre-pandemic crowded. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Like Like people are pressing in and there is no concern about social distancing or communicable diseases. These people want to hear and see for themselves. And so many were gathered, in verse 2, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching to them. Jesus was not only doing things in this region like healing people and casting out demons, but he was declaring to people what he was doing. That word and deed, it goes together. And so as he's announcing to them what's happening— There are others who are gathering to hear him. And uh, we read about uh, four friends who brought to him uh, a paralytic man. So someone who didn't have the use uh, of their legs, uh, or at least the lower portion of their body. And so they would lay out almost on like a stretcher. 
and his four friends brought him to Jesus, but they realized we're not going to be able to get in. Uh, there's not room for five of us, much less for this stretcher. And uh, so uh, they get a little inventive, right? Uh, they want to see Jesus. They want to bring their friends to Jesus. They don't want something like crowd size or room space to become obstacles where they just give up and go home. So in a bold move, they climb up on the roof. And uh, I'm always interested in questions like, uh, where did they get the tools? And like, what was the structure here that these people are like getting up on the roof? But, uh, you know, Mark does it while he's giving us vivid detail. What he wants you to know is that these four friends uh, of the paralytic man want to see Jesus. And the sense that we get is they are not going to stop. Something like a few uh, people in a crowded room isn't going to keep them away. And so in verse 4, uh, they couldn't get near to him. And so they removed the roof above him. Basically, they were able to open up a hole uh, in the roof. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And so you get this sense that people are coming to Jesus and they're coming with all sorts of motivation. Um, here, uh, there may be people who uh, were familiar uh, with the work of Jesus and just wanted to find out for themselves and just get a glimpse of the guy. There were other skeptics, people who understood that Jesus' bold declarations about being the key to eternal life for them was, uh, that put them on edge a little bit. Uh, they're concerned. That those are grand claims, Jesus. Uh, let us be the ones who decide whether or not you are the key. There are people who are sick, who long to just be healed. And so they're coming to Jesus. There are others who maybe they just follow the crowd. They don't even know it's Jesus. They're just like, oh, those, those people are uh, headed that way. I, I don't have anything going on. You know, uh, the, the people who slow down on the beltway when there's an incident on the other side, and it has nothing to do with where they're going. Uh, and they're not slowing down to help, but do they slow down? Yes, everyone slows down because they're human. And so there are people who are slowing down to catch a sight of Jesus uh, who has come back into their town. This is helpful for us because it doesn't stop Jesus from declaring who he is and what he's doing and uh, really carrying out the word and deed of the kingdom. It's a lot like what we hope church at Mosaic Silver Spring looks like week in and week out. Here's what I mean. When we often think about church, we can uh, think about what it does for me and what my specific interests are. And, you know, on the surface, it's entirely understandable, and there's, there's uh, not much wrong with that because we all typically will start with ourselves when we're thinking through our spiritual lives. But when I think about church and when the session thinks about church and we think about our vision and our values, what we hope happens is not altogether different from this house with a hole in the roof in Capernaum in the first century with Jesus. That is, we hope that people are finding their way to Mosaic Silver Spring who are trying to grow in their faith because they're familiar with Jesus and they want to hear more about how he is presenting the kingdom. 
But we also hope that there are people who are just hurting in life, the forces of a secular world, the realities of loneliness and struggle in the midst of a pandemic are pressing in on them hard. And they don't know where the answers are. They are just looking to find some place where they can raise these questions and hear some hope. Our vision for Mosaic is that there are open seats for people to come in who don't have it all together and are just hurting and that uh, they don't have to be or look or say a certain way or certain things in order to be welcomed here. We hope that there are people who are a bit skeptical of the Christian faith, but their neighbor has invited them to come to church because they still have questions about faith. We hope that they come in. And so we talk about the reality of these kingdom claims, much like Jesus does here, uh, for a broad audience and in a way that is open to engagement from all points of the spiritual spectrum. That's our desire and our hope as part of the vision and value of mosaic and so when we think about how we preach or the songs that we sing or the ways that we frame things up or even how our community groups are structured during the week a big part of that is this idea that man people are going to be coming into mosaic that who are all over the map our call is to faithfully preach the gospel to them and to love them well that's our call Word and deed. We're to follow Jesus' example as a church. We're to see what he's doing there and to not lean toward uh, just talking to people about stuff, but actually giving of ourselves and some of the sacrifice that comes in with loving people. And on the other end, we're not just called to be a really effective nonprofit addressing one issue, as if that, that lock of sin and death isn't present in our world and uh, people are unfamiliar with the key of Jesus. As a church, our vision is that we will both in word and in deed love anyone who comes in through our doors. And by that, think of that metaphorically. Connects with you in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your workplaces, enters in Sunday morning worship, visits your community group virtually, anyone who you come into contact with. So they've come in, their friends dropped Jesus, or not Jesus, Jesus wasn't on the, the stretcher. It was a guy, we don't know his name. Uh, you know, it's interesting, right? The, the paralytic man, that's just how he's known. Um, it, his four friends, we don't know their names either. We know that he was looking to Jesus. And as his friends drop him down through the roof, uh, by the way, this has many uh, characteristics of what a typical miracle healing story would be. And so if you were reading this or hearing this story uh, in the history of uh, the church, you would expect the next thing to be that Jesus looks at the man, he sees the obvious need because the man's on a stretcher, and he heals him. But Jesus does something a little different here. In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. This catches maybe the paralytic man, maybe his friends, uh, maybe everyone in the room a bit off guard. Um, 
it would be readily apparent maybe what the hope was, I think, when he's lowered down into the room. But Jesus' response to him goes deeper than the superficial realities of his mobility in day-to-day life. Uh, They go deeper to the spiritual core. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. In verse 6, we see that some who were gathered to hear, they weren't all fans of Jesus. Or at least they were skeptical. So some of the scribes, that is people who were especially trained uh, in uh, the law uh, and in understanding how the religious faith of uh, people would work out in first century life, they were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're sitting there, and internally they say, whoa, 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 wait a second. Jesus, you just said that this guy's sins are forgiven. How can you make such declarations? Their concern about Jesus is that uh, he is presuming authority that he doesn't have. There, uh, in social media, um, there are uh, these different kind of polls, um, and they vary, but it's like, what was your high school mascot, you know, and uh, the color of your tablecloth, and that's your gaming name, uh, right? Or, um, you know, what's your mother's maiden name, and the type of car that you drive, and that's your cover band, you know, uh, title, right? Um, and what's interesting about these are when they use, uh, like, the first set of people, like, oh, yeah, ha, 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 look, this is what my cover band title is. But what's interesting is when they use things that connect to often your password questions, uh, like what was the mascot of your high school uh, or what's your mother's maiden name. And so all sorts of people are like, oh, yeah, they're sharing with their friends on social media and everyone's answering. And I always imagine, like, who's the person who's like, great. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take that. I'll take that. Oh, what's your email address? Great. Uh, More data. It's like a vacuum, just sucking it up. And you think, what are they going to do with all that data? That is the scribe's concern with Jesus' declaration that your sins are forgiven. They say, wait a second, Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It sounds like you're getting kind of into the work and business of God. Forgiveness of sins, that's, that's God's deal. So, Jesus, when you declare your sins are forgiven, aren't you presuming upon, are are you trying to rob God's identity? Are you trying to get into God's account and start sending messages? Who do you think you are? That's what the scribes, they see, I think, rightly what's going on here with Jesus' declaration. And so they think this in their hearts. They have concern, Uh, probably even greater concern than I do for social media polls. Because, for them, you don't fool around presuming upon God. So, Jesus responds. Immediately, we're told in verse 8, perceiving in his spirit that they question within themselves, he asked them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. 
But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And so for everyone who had gathered to hear just who this Jesus is and what he's declaring, Jesus makes abundantly clear in word and deed that there is good news to believe. This is the repentance and the arrival of the kingdom. This is the authority that Jesus has shown up with. That's his declaration. So when he sees that the scribes are wondering, is he presuming upon God? Jesus responds and says, no, no, actually, I am God taken on humanity. I have the authority to both forgive sins and heal paralytics. And he does both. The reference that may be easy to miss in verse 10, that he is the son of man, is an echo back. And I won't blame you if you haven't read Daniel chapter 7 recently. That's okay. Um, But anyone who would have, or not anyone, but a lot of the folks who would have been in the room, but certainly the scribes who were questioning who Jesus was, they would be familiar with Daniel chapter 7 and the son of man. They would understand when Jesus declares to them that he is the Son of Man who has the authority to forgive sins and declares to the man, stand up and walk. This is Jesus in word and in deed showing that he is the key to eternal life. That he is the answering not only to the suffering of the world, but to our deeper spiritual struggle, our enslavement to sin. Is Jesus who takes off the locks and sets us free. The response that Jesus gives, you know, as he works this question out, is a demonstration of Jesus doesn't just talk the talk. You know, when he raises that question, what's easier to just say to somebody your sins are forgiven or to actually heal them? And in the story, part of why I like this story or find it helpful is not only what's on the line here with what Jesus is declaring with the good news of the kingdom, but it's the reality that Jesus is both walking and talking the good news that we are invited into, right? So he not only addresses the spiritual need, but he also addresses the physical need, and he does it in loving the man and seeing uh, his struggles, Jesus is giving, in a sense, proof, authentication of his identity. And it's an example for us to follow as a church. So that we don't get caught picking one side of Jesus' question as a community. That we don't just talk a good game, but then fail to ever love anyone or fight a battle against sin, uh, or to work to form virtue uh, in ourselves and in our communities, um, so that we don't just talk a good game, but don't ever do anything about it, but also for the flip, right? So that we don't just um, 
do a couple of well-organized uh, events uh, that we think does some good collectively for our community, but uh, we know that it, it's not all that popular uh, to talk about uh, faith, and especially faith that may make exclusivistic truth claims. Uh, people may uh, kind of cringe at that, and so let's just not really talk about any of that part. Let's just do this stuff but not talk about it. Jesus' example for the church is in play in the 21st century in Montgomery County, and that is our vision, to love people faithfully in word and deed. And so in the weeks ahead, we hope to take up each of the values of our church, people, place, and Christ. And we hope to do that because the reality of being a Christian in the 21st century and actually loving people faithfully in word and deed is incredibly hard. Uh, and it's okay for you to hear that. Christianity is amazingly easy to enter into because all you need to do is believe, is turn in faith to Jesus. It's an open invitation for all. The good news is for all, and you're welcome in. But then once you come in, once you're adopted in as a daughter or son of God, you begin to say, okay, what does it look like to live as a member of this family now that I'm adopted in and I'm a part and I'm in? How do I move forward? And that's where it begins to get much harder when it comes to questions uh, that are difficult to answer. When it comes to living in a time and place that will have alternative answers apart from uh, God's wisdom in Scripture. As a church, our hope is that our values help us navigate those questions, right? So when we think of everything from the reality of climate change uh, to racial injustice to sexual ethics uh, to just like how do we think about family and family members and how do we talk to one another with patience? Uh, what does it look like to love uh, uh, another neighbor or in particular my family? Well, th that's a broad range. And working out any of those answers when people have a history and when there are cultural pressures putting, uh, you know, cultural pressures weighing in or pressing in on us, it becomes really hard. Our hope as a church is that in an effort to love people in both word and deed, our values serve to guide us, to help us uh, walk through that wisely. Will we do that perfectly? No, no, we won't. Are there ways in which we have blind spots that need to be uh, light shined on them or ways in which we can sharpen one of the 100%? Uh, but it, it is easy to deconstruct things. Um, demo, if you've ever talked to anyone who's done home renovation or done any work on anything, demo is the easy part, right? Because, uh, you know, all you got to do is, like, knock stuff out. I mean, it's hard to, like, carry stuff out, but it's not, it's not all that hard. Construction is much, much harder. Planning and executing something well-constructed is much harder than demolishing, deconstructing. And as a church, we believe that God calls us to help participate in the construction of his kingdom. It is Jesus who ultimately builds it, but he calls us to participate in our gifts. But how we do that, it's actually pretty hard because we each have our own gifts, which is amazing, but then we have our limitations. And so in the weeks ahead, what we hope to walk through are core values that guide the collective giftedness, but also some of the weaknesses of our community and how we faithfully follow Jesus pattern. 
Jesus knew what was at stake when he's making these declarations. Jesus understood the reality of sin and death. When Jesus both healed the paralytic man and declared his forgiveness, he knew what the cost was. Lamar Williamson is a New Testament uh, commentator, and uh, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, he puts it this way, to claim the authority to forgive sins is no light matter, and to forgive them is not cheap. For Jesus to say and claim that authority, that's a big deal. But then to actually follow through and to pay the price for that forgiveness, not merely to heal his physical suffering, but to follow through with the redemptive declaration that his sins are forgiven, that costs Jesus his life. And as a church, my hope is that we not only announce and make clear the good news of God's kingdom arrival and the fact that Jesus has paid the costly price for our forgiveness, but that we also follow his pattern of entering in and forming a community of faith that genuinely loves one another. Because saying that we want to love our neighbors and God faithfully, that we want to worship the living God, that is no light matter. But to actually follow through week in and week out, to actually form virtue and put to death sin by the power of the Spirit, that isn't cheap for us either. And so as a community, I hope that we can follow in Jesus' pattern. And in the weeks ahead, I hope that we can work out together just what are the values that would guide Mosaic Silver Spring to do that well here in Montgomery County in the 21st century in a time and place where God has put us, even if it's just for a season. That is what it means to follow Jesus. May he give us wisdom and strength patience and hope to do that well. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you will, in the weeks ahead, as we think through our core values as a community, and as we think through how those connect to our vision as a church, give us wisdom. Help us to follow your lead, Jesus. Help us to be a faithful community. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen.